It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. I've got Alain here. He is with Mainstem.io. Alain, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Um, how'd you get in the industry? And then maybe along that journey, tell us a little bit about Mainstem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. So uh, Mainstem is a supply chain software platform in, in uh, the cannabis industry. Our napkin note from, from many years ago was to solve supply chain. And uh, my cousin, who's my co-founder, is the, was the cannabis uh, medical grower. Uh, I was from aerospace, B2B side, really understood infrastructure. And uh, when one night uh, on Thanksgiving, when we, you know, in 2014, when, when uh, cannabis was legalized here in Washington, um, he says to me, he says, hey, you really got to take a look at this, this industry. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about applying to be a commercial, a commercial grower here. Uh, here's all, here's the, the, the rules. And it was like 40 pages of the LCB, you know, requirements. And I took a look at it and said, ah, you know, this is, this is, this is a lot of legal stuff in here that I'm, I'm not so sure would be, uh, you know, the, the best thing to, to take on. So Thanksgiving left, the family went and went our own ways. And then Christmas, we saw each other again. And he says, you really got to take a look at this. You really got to take a look at this. And I said, I said, okay. And I looked at it and, um, you know, I, I, I went through the entire thing. I said, well, first of all, I don't know anything about growing plants, um, but I do know a lot about infrastructure and I do know a lot about um, uh, B2B pieces of this. So if I, we took the knowledge that you've got from, you know, cultivation, the medical side and the industry for the last, you know, 10 years that he's been in it and, and apply some of the uh, infrastructure pieces that I knew, um, you know, we, I think we can, we can make an impact here. And so um, the combination of, you know, my moral compass being in the forward direction, which is, you know, cannabis is, 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 is fantastic for the therapeutic and recreational benefits of it, but then also my business compass uh, being pointed in the same direction by having an opportunity to help build an infrastructure that the industry can operate on for the next 5, 10, 15 years was just, it was just too much to pass up. And so our original napkin note was to solve supply chain in the cannabis industry, everything but the bud though. So all the picks and shovels, the supplies that go into it. Um, and uh, we start, when we first started solving supply chain in the, uh, in the state of Washington, it was pretty easy. We, we had a truck and we had a warehouse and we made deliveries and commercial, commercial distribution. Uh, but then as the industry matured and, and you know, more and more states evolved and legalized and, and the, the country or the, the, the nation of, of Canada went, uh, went uh, recreational as well, um, the complexity of that problem to solve was a lot, lot bigger than two guys driving around in a truck doing commercial distribution. So uh, our solution has evolved significantly over the years, but the problem that we're solving in supply chain has never changed. And so now we're a full-on uh, software company that that provides uh, supply chain solutions through for operators in the space, but then also we have a, a fantastic ecosystem, a marketplace for suppliers, and we connect those. We're the connective tissue between uh, you know purchasers at, at the operator level all the way down to the suppliers. When you say nothing's changed with the supply chain, all I'm thinking about is Evergreen and uh, you know the LA port and just all of the backups with the supply chain disruption is that make your business even more important or does it just add to the complexity of, of the industry both 
so it made supply chain sexy, right? It made supply chain the thing that everyone's talking about. Um, that core, that core supply chain problem that we were uh, that we're tackling and, and, and solving in the industry has only gotten magni uh, magnified, right? So, you know, a good example is 95% of, uh, of our customers and operators in the space are experiencing a supply chain problem uh, uh, because of everything that we're seeing, the ports and the, and the, and the, the COVID shutdown. Um, we're seeing additional demand from consumers, right? 25% of consumers are, are saying that they're consuming more cannabis during pandemic than they did before. So not only do we have the existing problem, now we've got this additional strain on that entire supply chain. And we've got you know, the, the global pandemic uh, that has really disrupted the, the, the entire process. So you know, those ports, that's, that's a, a big result of, of what's happened when you shut down manufacturing you know, overseas, the majority of of uh, manufacturing done there is is really a, it's labor intensive. It's human it's human labor that's going into it. So when that shuts down, you know you're 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 basically shutting down all all, all operations at the manufacturing level. We've we've been hearing a lot about um, individuals leaving the workforce, the Great Resignation, as they're kind of calling it. With that employee turnover and the distra distractions of of the pandemic. Um, are you seeing more people onboarding or, or is it becoming more difficult to get your point across? I always find it challenging to educate and then sell. I'm assuming a lot of these entrepreneurs, you have to educate them in order to know what the benefit of your product is because they don't even know that they need it. How has the great resignation impacted your ability to get your message out? Well, it's, it's actually benefited it. And, and the reason why is during the pandemic when things were really, it caused everything to slow down, right? And so the rapid pace that the industry was growing at um, was, you know, it was, it was far exceeding the operational standards and processes that come from, you know, your, 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 your business. Uh, to catch up. It was just that the, the front end of the business was growing so fast that the operational sign wasn't catching up. And they were throwing a lot of throwing money at the problem because that's, that's, you know, they were growing so fast. They didn't have time to really to, to take a look at it. And so now what we're seeing across the board is with the pandemic and the slowdown, it's actually a, lo a lot of operators are, are looking internally, right? They're looking internally at our processes. How can we get better here? How are we, how are we uh, handling the turnover? How are, we, how are we managing all of these pieces? And so really the appreciation of technology as, as a solution for operations, we, we found that over the, you know, the last 18 months has really been uh, uh, an uptick in, in terms of the adoption and really understanding that piece of it is because of the global slowdown, you know, you naturally kind of look internally to your own company to see where can we do things better, right? When you were sitting down, uh, jotting your, your business plan on a napkin at Thanksgiving, uh, what was the inspiration behind that? Was it the 2018 farm bill that kind of just made you guys realize like this is going to be here for the long run and, and there's individuals out there coming into the business that need additional help or what, what essentially made you say, yeah, I see that there is opportunities and yes, I'm willing to dive in all the way. Yeah. Um, so during that Thanksgiving, so the Thanksgiving part was really uh, understanding how big this was potentially going to be. Right. And, 
And then it was Christmas was when we, we really dived in. And so uh, we literally went through my, my co-founder's garden from beginning to end. Uh, and I, I self-admittedly, I can't grow a plant if my life depended on it. My, my dad gave me one plant. It was an ivy when I bought my first house. And it was, it was, he had that ivy since I was born. And when I came into my house, it died and I felt terrible. So I knew that whatever I was going to do was not going to be involved with, uh, with the plant itself, but I have a great appreciation for the plant. Um, and so we were, we were going through the, the process of, of his, far, his, his garden all the way to where he literally he, he uh, you know, made the donation at the dispensary for the patients. And so throughout that process, I, I was, we were looking at all the stuff that he was buying, where he was buying it for. And, and really that's when I identified, this is where like my skill set came in is that supply chain where these, these farmers were acquiring their, their goods and, and, and products that went into growing, packaging and selling cannabis, that infrastructure was just not going to be able to support, you know, a, a massive, uh, massive scale of, of large farms that were going to come about, right? It's the equivalent of Boeing or GM buying nuts and bolts from like a Home Depot or Lowe's. Like it, that just did not equate to me. And so that's really where I, I saw an opportunity that I can apply our skill set and, 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 and my, my co-founder's cousin's uh, industry knowledge to really create a good solution around supply chain. Um. Tell me a little bit about why you chose not to touch the flower. I mean, the obvious thing is it's not federally legal, but that didn't stop, you know, competitors. You're in Seattle, so I'll throw a name out there, Kush.com. They were trying to allow wholesaler, you know, producers and processors, because we're not vertically integrated in Washington, makes it a unique marketplace to try and fill that, um, that need. Um, so they were focused on trying to help producers and processors meet retailers and in, in the process of that help to sell products online wholesale. That's focused. And then um, Chris DiGiulio at WebJoint um, is very kind of out there. When I met him at the marijuana show in like 2018 or something, um, he had like 18 different tabs on his website to do all kinds of stuff didn't really seem focused, but he had this shotgun approach. So I've seen kind of, you know, a lot of different platforms and a lot of people with a lot of ideas. What made you come out with MainStem? And why didn't you? Why did you decide not to touch the flower? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So I have a great appreciation for both of those companies as well, and especially Kush being in our backyard. And I know those folks quite well. Um, our, our strategy around not touching the plant was really geared towards, you know, the, the solution that we were building, we wanted it to be able to be the solution, the standard for supply chain for ancillary products in the industry. And so we purposely have really tried to stay away from anything that's heavily regulated because each individual state has their own regulations, which I'm, you're, you're aware of, anybody in the industry is aware of. Um, so you have to almost create a different you know, version of your software for each state to be able to accommodate for those rules and regulations. And then you know, when, when federal legalization or rescheduling happens, uh, there will be a federal mandate or that, and that could completely change what happens at the state level. There could be a combination of state and federal. Um, and so for us, you know, our strategy to build a supply chain and an ecosystem that becomes a standard 
of what an industry could potentially operate on, you know, are we we just we we thought that if we had we if we had to live with these constraints and they were constantly changing, it would be very difficult to be the industry standard. And so by by strategically staying away from those pieces of it, we had the opportunity to really build tools and solutions that were really geared towards the operators and the suppliers in the space that could be adopted at it as an infrastructure for the industry, independent of you know regulation coming in and changing everything. And next thing you know, maybe something that you're building is no longer relevant because of a, a federal change or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, how were you different than? the competitors you compete against like what is your secret sauce uh, mcdonald's is known for their burgers but their milkshake machine is always broken well what are you guys known for and what are some needs and roadblocks to help you guys get to where you want to go yeah um so the, the way the world that we play in is really in 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 supply chain and a big part of that is there's two components right there's the supply and there's demand and so when we look at our solution we look at those those are the two big components so if we look at the supply side there's a lot of big distributors who've been around manufacturers that have been around supplying uh products to cannabis operators for the last 20 or 30 years uh, you know in combination of the medical and 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 illicit market so um, you know, that's, they've done a really good job of building out more distribution centers, building more inventory, getting products to customers faster. So that supply side of the equation. Um, there's also the other side of the equation, which is the demand side, right? And so that's the operators. How do operators uh, understand their full demand? How, if they're, if they're buying, you know, so many different brands through mergers and acquisitions, and they've got so many different systems underneath because of the regulatory stuff. They may have three accounting systems, three ERP systems. And so they're not, it's, it's very challenging for them to, to really pull in all that information and, uh, and have an understanding of what their demand is. And so Mainstem, we have, that, we have that approach of understanding the demand and the supply. So on the supply side with our marketplace, we aggregate a lot of the suppliers onto the platform so that way all the great things that the suppliers are doing uh, with getting products faster to customers is available on the platform. And then we have our demand side. So our, our SaaS uh, platform uh, is used by complex operators, right? Multi-state operators and uh, complex single state operators. And then we integrate with all those systems that they have. So we can pull in you know, from three different uh, accounting softwares or two different ERPs. So then that department of purchasing can actually act as an enterprise because they have access to all the data and all the workflows that are tied to it. And so that's really the differentiator between, for Mainstem is that we're addressing both the supply side and the demand side of supply chain. So essentially you're, you're basically a um, service provider to integrate everyone's world, the buy side, the sell side, um, banking as well, like is you said accounting, but I'm assuming that banking can also be incorporated with that. So it's a one-stop yeah. shop to essentially organize a cannabis business from seed to sale. Yeah, literally is the, the platform it's the way it works is, you know, integrating with all of the different accounting systems that you have. And if you have a different bank in each state, you can, you can build the workflow to where, 
you know, Josh is a, a lens boss and I'm submitting an order and it goes to you, you approve it. But then we push and pull directly to those different uh, accounting systems in each state. And then also they can make payments from in the independent banks and pull that up, but still have the global visibility like an enterprise. Okay. And how, how's the, how do banks react to your software? Is it seamless or because banking isn't, isn't a thing yet, right? So yeah. are there any regulatory issues? You mentioned that you chose this route because of the, the low regulation that SAS has. However, there's issues built into that banking being one of them. How well do your clients find that integration process? Sure. So uh, we, we pretty much make it agnostic when it comes to um, the banking piece. And so with, with our platform, uh, you can manage all of your purchasing in there, but your accountants can also go in and decide to, to, pay, uh, to pay the vendors, but you can pick from which bank via ACH. So more of the traditional, the traditional uh, um, you know, payment processing, either through a credit card or through a a uh, ACH or a, a, a bank wire, but those banks obviously need to be set up to be able to do that for the cannabis clients. We don't we don't do anything that's um, you know uh, bank compliant uh, regulation process. It's we set up the standards for payments in there. It's it's up to the, the the operators to to select banks that allow them to do that. And then there's a lot of credit unions now that are that are. Are, are really stepping up to help service, uh, provide services for the operators. So it's just a matter of now of, of managing all of the, the different banks in the different states um, through the platform. I've found that there's been a lot of folks in this industry who, who thought that, um, you know, if you go way back in time, the people who, who thought you just throw something on the internet and it would just sell, uh, I think there's the same kind of mentality about cannabis. Like if you, if you make a product, it, it'll sell. I think a lot of people forgot about advertising and marketing, which has been incredibly difficult. Social media has been, um, you know, canceled left and right. But even within that, when folks do manage to get distribution, you know, some some retired athletes or or, or whatever, they get into like Bartels is here locally, right in Washington State. Um, so you know, when, when a retired football player got into two dozen stores, he thought he was going to, you know, sell a lot more and that it would take off. And it hasn't worked out that way for their product, for their brand. How integrative is, is the distribution? So California being the fifth largest GDP in the world, there's a lot of distribution challenges from Reading down to San Diego. How do you help those folks get into a distribution channel that doesn't exist already or is incredibly convoluted is your platform providing an opportunity for new distribution channels to emerge um yeah primarily on the operational side and on the um uh, ancillary product side so a lot of you know when we think of distribution there's really there's two parts of it there's the b2c so getting the product the actual plant to to stores to outlets to uh, retailers dispensaries and, and that in itself has massive complexity. And I think that um, there's some actually pretty good technologies that are out there that are, are solving that problem on the B2C or even some of the B2B cannabis side. Um, uh, LeafLink's a great example of, of ones that are tackling that piece of it. 
With, with our side on the ancillary products, we're primarily on the B2B for uh, suppliers of those products to the, to the operators. And so the distribution channels that we help open up is that you know, we help the suppliers gain access to customers that they would normally maybe never be able to gain access to, right? They, like they, they might be able to gain access to a multi-state operator through our platform by, by joining the ecosystem that we're creating. And then the same token on the other side of that, you know, the customers who are using our platform have a great selection of suppliers, both from a, a regional standpoint, but then a product redundant standpoint. So what I mean by that is if I'm a multi-state operator and I've got, you know, a, a facility in New York and a facility in, in uh, California, and I want to, you know, standardize the products that are going into my farm, I'm going to buy this product. Uh, it doesn't make sense for them to buy that product from the same person, right? Because maybe it, there's a supplier in California that has that product and there's maybe there's a supplier in New York, but you don't want to buy the product from New York and ship it to California. So these distribution channels that we're creating are not only a breadth of product, but the depth of, of those uh, the suppliers that are out there. So that way you have the best opportunity to uh, you know manage and, and pick. And, and, and there's a lot of great, you know, the, one of the great things about this industry is the the social aspects of, of, of the industry. We have a lot of customers saying, I wanna buy local. I wanna buy from minority owned businesses. I wanna buy from women owned businesses. And we have the opportunity to help establish some of those uh, distribution channels through our platform by giving these options that they may not be aware of to the operators. So they can see, hey, this is a local company. I prefer to buy it from this company or this is a, a minority or woman owned company. I would prefer to buy my supplies from that person because that's part of our, you know, our, our initiative, our goal. So those are the additional distribution channels that we can help open up for uh, on the ancillary side. Is there a premium content? Like, do you push, um, you know, some of your clients so for example, I'm thinking like with the, there's a lot to be a lot of data available for you to see and reports available. And if one of your clients has got something that's new, niche, unique, whatever, um, can they pay you to then push that to be seen by the rest of your clients? So the way our platform works is, you know, we use, there's a lot of data that goes into this, right? And so by, by working with the, the customers, uh, the operators, um, our platform helps them in, in terms of identifying either uh, the commodities from different suppliers uh, and different options, like I said, the regions and whatnot, but also do some of the suggestive things that, you know, hey, you purchase a lot of this product. This is something that a lot of other uh, of your peers are also purchasing that may be a uh, better product, a newer product, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always about providing options, right? And it's all, it's 100% about providing the best options for that supply chain. Because quite frankly, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of operators out there and there's a lot of suppliers out there. And this is still very early on. And, and we're starting to see some of that consolidation, both at the supply side and at the operator side, but there's still a lot of fragmentation. So when you have a lot of fragmentation, it's important to be able to help provide some of those best options to, to those customers in a couple of different ways or, or like or you referenced, right? I want to nerd out a little bit more on that data. What are some of the more popular reports that people are pulling up? Yeah, um, so there's a couple of things, you know, right? There, there's three stages of, of what we identify as 
as where customers are at. And we really, and this, and I think this is a testament to not only our solution, but our team in building uh, this platform for the cannabis industry. And I think that's a big differentiator between other solutions that are come out, out from outside. But we understand that, you know, customers are always want data, 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 it, it, to the point where um, they, they don't even have a place to pull in data yet, but they want data. But before you can get to data, you have to build standard business practices. Because if you don't build standards, the, the data that you have is not going to be consistent and you won't be able to make heads or tails out of it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of folks are, are, before you can get to building processes, they're really trying to put out fires, right? And so uh, they're, they're uh, putting out fires left and right. And so the way we built our platform is to help uh, operators along each path. If you're, in the put, if you're in the putting out fire stage, fantastic. We'll help you put some of those fires out. We'll give you the platform so that way you can build the standard business standards and, and practices in our platform. That's the template for it. And then we evolve and, 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 and migrate you over to the data side. But the most important pieces right now where the majority of our customers are at is just the recognition of where the, or of the, of, of the, the data aggregation is because they've got a couple of different systems, right? A couple of different counting systems, a couple of different ERP systems is just pulling in the data to say, wow, I didn't realize we bought X amount of this, right? Um, and to be able to get that information and data, then you can start standardizing what they're purchasing or what they're putting into their farms, right? Because this farm may be purchasing something different from this farm, but we want to standardize and we want to build the processes around that. And so those are the big ones that we're seeing now. We are getting into some of the machine learning and some of the AI components and, and, uh, for the operators. A lot of that is going to be you know, predictive analytics. And that's gonna be very important because the big topic right now is supply chain, right? There's a couple of, there's a bottleneck in, in quite a few products. Pre-roll cones is, is a huge one. We're seeing a massive spike in demand, but yet the, the supply is nowhere near. So to be able to provide some of that information through our platform to the customers gives them some of that foresight to be able to make you know, good purchasing decisions. Are you seeing a significant differences in consumer behavior from existing marketplaces versus like new emerging markets like Oklahoma versus Arizona, for example, uh, Arizona being um, a, a tightly controlled market with limited licenses and Oklahoma having like over 7,000? Yeah, so on the on the consumer side, we, we really stay on the, the B2B on the operation side. So uh, the consumer the consumer side, I, I don't have a lot of, of insight there. But what I can say is we have really good privy on what's happening at the operational side, which ultimately translates over to the consumer, right? Um, and so the, the complexity, the complexity of supply chain, I will say is definitely magnified um, on the, uh, uh, the states that have smaller amount of licenses, larger operations, because the complexity is much higher. Now we're talking, instead of having, you know, someone like Washington or Oklahoma or even Oregon, um, where there's lots and lots of operators, typically it's the owner who's also doing the buying, doing the selling, doing the accounting, and doing doing a little bit of everything. But it's the, they're still able to do that because um, the the scale of the problem is is not quite there yet. Now, in states that have smaller licenses but have massive processing and and and, and garden farms, 
um, the, the problem is magnified significantly there. Now the owner operator can't be that person, right? You've got a team of people, you've got a team of, of uh, buyers, you've got a team of, of gardeners. And, and, and so that complexity on, on the uh, demand side is, is on the supply side is, is, is much more significant there than it is on the, uh, uh, the areas that have more licenses, like thousands of licenses. When you started, um, there's probably some some learning lessons. I'm curious if you've got any advice for anybody who is starting a company. Um, there's a lot of things that you've seen from, uh, I know when I was in banking, I learned a lot about uh, spending habits from people that didn't know what they were doing with money. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious if you've seen uh, things, you know, from, from behind the desk, behind the screen, looking at all these reports, um, coupled with your own experience starting the company, what advice do you have for somebody in an emerging market like uh, New Jersey, New York? Yeah, um, you know, a couple of things that I've, I've learned along the way. Um, the first one is when you have a plan, you got to have, you got to be able to understand that it's got it's going to be flexible, right? It's going, it has to be flexible because especially in this industry, as you know, the industry is a startup, meaning the suppliers are startup, the the operators are startups, the everyone's a startup basically in this industry in certain in a in a, in a certain capacity. So you got to be flexible um, with the plan that you put in place. The strategy may never change, but the plan to get there has got to be flexible. You got to be you got to be able to handle it some some ambiguity. Um, because there's the laws change literally on, you know, as like a flip of a coin. Uh, one day it could be this, the next day it could be that because of emergency and uh, they change the rules. So that, that can change your complete operation and your plan. The second thing I would, I think is really, really important, which has been a, almost a beneficial byproduct of, of, uh, of the pandemic that we went through. You know, I know that's been, it's been very, very tough time for, for everyone in the last 18 months. But one of, the, one of the really interesting things about it is that the amount of talent and, 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 and that, that's coming into this industry is, has been unparalleled. Um, you know, we went through, we went through a hiring, uh, hiring spree over the last 12 months or so. And uh, I'm very impressed with the, the folks that have, you know, we're, we're teetering on the fence to, to get into this industry. Uh, part of my, my, my interviews to my, one of my questions to them is why cannabis and why now? And almost every single person said, well, it's the end of the world or, or it looks like the, the end of the world is coming. If I'm going to join, uh, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to join a startup in this industry. I'm going to do it now. And it's, it's, we're all in. And so the amount of uh, talent that's coming in is 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 very tremendous, and I, I think it's I think it's one of the greater things that that we've we've seen and recognized in the industry because now we've got this great great combination of folks that were you know really here from day one and putting and building this industry uh, from before and you know, before it was a, a, a recognized industry, and now we can pair that with a lot of the um, business building and scaling up talent that's coming in. And I'm just seeing how fast this industry is, is maturing even, even faster than it was before because of that great combination. So really, you know, advice to those folks is, is really utilize the combination of both of those things. Make sure you've got strong industry talent that is that is that really knows the plant, really knows the industry really well, and pair that with a complementing uh, skill set that's you know that may come 
that doesn't come inherently from uh, you know, uh, a growing, processing, and, and, and selling cannabis. And that may be accounting, that may be branding, that may be whatever it may be, but it's a great time to have that combination. I think that's, a, that's something that the industry didn't have you know, for the first couple of years. Yeah, something that uh, a lot of these, you know, legacy or OG um, activists and, and, and growers, people that have been in the industry for a long time, what they didn't have was access to capital. Mm-hmm. Um, when you started, was that a friends and family round? Or did you receive uh, investor capital? Tell me a little bit about uh, how you were able to raise money to start Mainstem. Yeah, my it was my cousin and myself. I when when uh, this is part of my personality, but um, when I'm all in, I'm all in. And so we went through and you know liquidated our 401ks, our stocks, our savings, everything that we had to really start this. Um, and there was no investment at the time. Um, growing and 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 growing the business and really bootstrapping it at that time um, helped us become very. Uh, insightful about how we did things and and how we how we uh, had to be frugal and every decision that we made was was very much based on ROI. Um, once we and that and that period of time was really us learning quite a bit of what what supply chain was going to look like outside of Washington, right? Because we were in that microcosm, and then what is it going to look like at the larger scale? Once we figured that that piece out once we figured that piece out and started migrating over to uh, technology and really understanding that that was where we can make a big impact uh, we were fortunate enough to be uh, backed by you know, one of the t- i would say top three cannabis investment firms merida capital um, they really believed in, in in our vision and what we were doing uh, and to this day is still our, our primary investor and they've they've subs- they've uh, funded us uh, in subsequent rounds since our, our early round uh, back in 2017 and uh, really believe in, in, in the, the, uh, the vision that we have and the execution piece of it. So very grateful to have them uh, uh, as our primary backer. And, and we're starting to see more of this come into the industry, right? Um, you know, a lot of traditional venture capital, um, they have what they call as a vice clause that, you know, doesn't allow them to invest into, uh, I think it's pornography, um, things that are federally illegal, drugs, or whatever it may be, and and so that prevents them from uh, from investing directly into the industry. We're starting to see that change significantly um, now that the industry is is growing, uh, in, insane uh, uh, growth is larger than to, it's going to be larger than tobacco and, and is just as big as alcohol. We're starting to see those some of those venture capital firms. Um, Come in and say that they've, you know, their LPs have relaxed their um, their uh, uh, their their restrictions on investment into cannabis, and I and I think that's great because that's really going to help propel the the industry forward as well. Because you know, having an entire industry, you know, bootstrap and and be cash strapped is it's it's hindering how how fast and how well it can grow. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, vice clauses. So I recently wrote an article for Benzinga called uh, Vice Stocks a Sin Not to Have in Your Portfolio. And I talk about the shun stock hypothesis where you know certain investors won't touch cannabis because, or not just cannabis, but tobacco, alcohol, anything that's, um, you know, is a vice. Um, and that creates an artificial suppression of, of demand. And so when... Uh, you know, the shit hits the fan uh, economically and people are looking for opportunities 
cannabis always has an inverse relationship during economic downturns because it is, um, I should say uh, cannabis, sin stocks um, always have this opportunity to have a higher return during economic corrections, recessions, depressions, because of that shun stock hypothesis. Um, but what's also going to have to happen is a lot of consolidation and eventually capitulation. So like we saw in 2008, 2009, all of this excessive borrowing in the markets had to go away and, and really crash prices in order for the Phoenix to be able to come back. When this longest bull market ends and some of these altruistic individuals that haven't paid themselves a salary collapse and the 7,000 license holders in uh, Oklahoma come back to reality and only have 3,000 that, that Oregon has, What's that going to do to the overall industry? Is it, can we sustain 400 cannabis farmers in each state? That's a complex question. <laughs> um, I, I I'm asking for your crystal ball prediction. <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing to note, I think is important is that almost uh, mentally, right? Mentally is that the vice clause, cannabis was in the vice clause. Now that's being laxed. So to think that cannabis is, no longer considered maybe a vice in that vice class, I think is, is, you know, theoretically pretty cool, right? It's like what we have done to change the stigma to where it, it can be taken out of that. So I think that's very important to acknowledge is that just the, the basic fundamentals of that clause, you know, cannabis is now being relaxed and taken out of that. I think it's pretty neat. Um, the second thing you mentioned is, you know, what's going to happen when, when, the, the big, you know, the big shot clock is, is, is federal legalization, right? Uh, and some of this, uh, you know, MJ BizCon, uh, we, were, we were just talking about that earlier. Walking MJ BizCon and seeing the massive amounts of suppliers that are there, right? And looking and seeing where consolidation is happening and everything, it's going to happen. And I think that it is unfortunate that businesses, that they will go out of business. And I think that you know, some folks that have put everything on the line, unfortunately, may not may not make it, but there's also ones that will. But I think a really good thing that's positive, I think a good positive way to look at it is if we look at if we look at beer, right, if we look at beer, we've got the big distributors and manufacturers of it, but we also have a thriving, thriving craft beer, right, craft uh, uh, craft uh, spirits that is emerging that's really taking grasp of of uh, the the overall industry, you know, I, a lot of lot of my uh, I, um, uh, older family members uh, prefer some of the larger legacy names uh, of beers, and a lot of the the younger folks that we have, everyone loves some of the craft beers, right? The IPAs, and so I think that is very inspiring and a, a positive outlook to where I think that could also apply to cannabis, to where you know we will have some consolidation at that that, that of the big brands, and those become the national brands and. And where does that cannabis get farmed and processed? And maybe it's the best place in the entire nation, but then also still have this thriving, you know, craft artisan uh, uh, industry and market that will still drive a lot of uh, a part of that business, right? It, I think that's very promising. Yeah, I'm definitely looking for a small craft, uh, that whole segment to populate so that uh, more cannabis can smell like Third Avenue across from the courthouse. Have you ever walked by there and smelled like <laughs> they got the best smelling weed in the whole state? I mean, hands down. <laughs> uh, and I think that small batch growers, I think those those homeless guys are getting a small batch. And, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, definitely. I don't know what it is, but that corner just smells amazing. 
what did 2022 i mean uh what did mj bizcon tell you about 2022 and beyond when i walked the floor the last seven years i'm seeing more and more large-scale automation equipment huge like pieces of equipment i'm also seeing a lot more um hydroponic and dirt and lighting um and so it seems like there's kind of this this separation of the industry from like a dirt show to um you know an automated um new market people that have money pre-roll machines that are four hundred thousand dollars you're not seeing like the the knock box so much as you are seeing fully automated things so that's kind of where i'm seeing the direction of the industry going what is what did mj bizcon tell you about uh, the industry 2022 and beyond further consolidation you know as 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 one of the things you mentioned is some of these bigger boosts and the bigger things as that happens right those those bigger folks are really going to be competing for um, uh, the dominance in whatever it is they play automation distribution. So I think further consolidation of, of that area is going to happen and, and we'll continue to see that. We, we see you know, the press releases about uh, uh, so-and-so is, is now buying, buying this nutrient company or buying this technology company. So I think that'll continue. Um, the other thing, which I think is also really cool and, and, and neat to, to, to say about what's driving in the cannabis industry is a lot of this innovation that you're talking about, right? We didn't see this five years ago, but a lot of the innovation to to improve how plants are grown, how you know how they are harvested, how they are processed. So a lot of the stuff that's being fueled by the cannabis industry is really also pushing forward other ways of cultivation. Maybe it's indoor farming for tomatoes, indoor farming for whatever it may be, urban farming. So a lot of the technologies and the processes that are built, uh, being built right now by cannabis, because it's, you know, currently the shiny object in, 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 in the growth, but can also be applied to some of these legacy, um, uh, legacy farms that are now, you know, migrating over into urban farming, vertical farming. And I think that's really cool. And so to be able to see the innovation that's there and to be able to see how it can apply and how cannabis has the ability to, you know, improve agriculture overall and how we, how we harvest, how we process. I think that's, that's really caught my eye when I was at the show was like, wow, this is, you know, cannabis is, is, is because it's some, some capital is coming in, it's fueling innovation, but it can also be applied to traditional agriculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, vertical integrated agriculture will be really interesting once uh, people pick up on that. What are uh, maybe a couple of goals you have to uh, continue your, your first mover advantages? Yeah, so we're we're all about the ecosystem. Um, so you know, back to what we were talking about before of of building. You know, the goal is to build the the standard for supply chain. We want we want to build out the ecosystem of operators and uh, suppliers and main stem as the connective tissue in between. You know, our, our, North, our North Star for 2022 is really built, building out that ecosystem and, it's, and, and fueling that piece of it to where, you know, that ecosystem becomes uh, so strong that you're effectively, you know, being able to walk through an MJ BizCon in the front of your desk, right? And be able to have to have these connections. And as the, the industry is rapidly growing, we're going to get consolidation, but also more new technologies that need to be introduced to the, to the industry. And then at the same token, that, that, that tool that you're able to virtually see the MJ BizCon uh, booth is also a tool that you can use to manage your own supply chain. So that's, that's our big goal for, for 2022 is that 
Um, you know, we, we want to continue to build that ecosystem. We've got a fantastic product that's helping out a, a lot of customers who are continuously onboarding with us. And that's fantastic. And we're also building out the, the supply chain as well with all the suppliers on the, the ecosystem. All right, Alain, if there's somebody, uh, whether it's an interested investor or producer, processor, retailer, um, if anybody wants to check out Mainstem, where where can they check you guys out? You guys have a website or social media. How can they get a hold of you? Yep. That's mainstem.io, M-A-N-S-T-E-M.io. Uh, feel free to also uh, email sales at uh, mainstem.io for any uh, inquiries there on information. Um, and then also for any investors, uh, you can uh, directly email me at Alen, A-L-E-N at mainstem.io. And I think we can put the, the website in the description in the show notes. I don't think uh, YouTube will, will slap us for that. So we'll also have Alen's uh, LinkedIn uh, contact if you want to get uh, hit him up through that. Uh, so check out the, his contact in the description in the uh, in the show notes there. So with that, I think we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Alain Wynn. He is the co-founder and CEO of Mainstem at mainstem.io. Alain, thanks for being with us at the Talking Edge. Much appreciated. Thanks, Josh. Have a good week. Appreciate it. Next time we'll do this in person. With that, uh, I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got.